the chill pill. My name is Emma Ives and I am the creator slash host of this fabulous podcast. I created this podcast since I love all things medicine. I love reading about it, I love talking about it, and my roommates are getting kind of sick and tired of hearing about it. I am not a medical professional, so I will never give you advice on the medical stuff. Please seek out your primary care physician for advice. I will link all my sources in the description as well as mention them throughout the podcast. Sorry I haven't been on in a while. I've had a very busy week, and this episode required a lot of research. School's really hard. I think I'm going to go with my original idea of doing every other week so I have enough time to gather all the cool information you guys want to hear. And you know, like, do school. Today's episode was requested by some of my listeners. Hi, Mom and Dad. I was inspired by some of the talk going around about the coronavirus to create a two-part series. In this episode, I'll be looking at how media coverage influences public perceptions surrounding pandemics and epidemics for better and worse. I'll be touching on several outbreaks in which the media played a role, starting with the coronavirus. Disclaimer, I will not be touching on the HIV-AIDS crisis, not because I don't believe it is important, but because there is so much information that I believe it deserves its own episode. As of January 30th, we're in the midst of a public health emergency of international concern for the novel coronavirus. I'm not telling you this to scare you, just stating some facts. According to the WHO, coronavirus is a large family of viruses found in both animals and in people. These viruses are known to cause illnesses ranging from the common cold to severe diseases such as Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome and Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Novel has been added to the name as the virus is new and has not been seen in humans before. And no, it is not the same thing as SARS for those of you who remember the SARS outbreak of 2003. I've been following the spread of this virus since it started being reported to the WHO by Wuhan back in December. And the media response to the virus has been swift. There are live blogs dedicated to providing minute-by-minute updates. I mean, if you really want updates every single day, I highly recommend going to the WHO. They do daily situation reports. However, the internet is sometimes not a nice place. In California, an Asian-American high schooler was attacked and sent to the ER. An 8th grader was sent to the nurse for coughing and repeatedly being teased by his classmates about being infected with the virus. These behaviors are similar to what occurred during the 2003 SARS outbreak. And the thing is, children aren't born thinking these things. They imitate what they see others do. Misinformation has been a huge problem with the coronavirus. The WHO has an entire section under advice for the public on myths surrounding it. Here's a summary of some of the things that are being said. Antibiotics will sadly not protect you from the virus. As I talked about in my previous episode, viruses are not alive and cannot be killed by antibiotics. Some things that will not protect you from the virus are disinfecting with UV lamps or hand dryers. They will not work. Also, rubbing substances on your body like alcohol or chlorine or sesame oil will not block the virus from entering your body. Also, I think some of those things can be really dangerous. Rinsing your nose with saline or eating garlic will not prevent infection. In fact, I think eating garlic will just make your breath smell bad. I don't actually know what you hope to accomplish by, like, washing it with saline, but you do you. Don't, don't actually wash it with saline, though. The WHO has dubbed the virus an infodemic. People want information, and they use the internet to obtain it. Based on previous experiences with pandemics and epidemics, the WHO has tasked their media communication teams with dispelling myths and providing accurate information to the public. Many companies like Twitter and Facebook have clamped down on misinformation by partnering with the WHO, while Google has created a really cool algorithm called SOS Alert, which pushes WHO information to the top search result. So if you go and search novel coronavirus like I did, all the links from WHO will be the first things that you see. However, there's so much noise surrounding the virus that 
The coordinated efforts have been overwhelmed. Ebola, SARS, MERS, and Zika all cause global panic, but public anxiety around the coronavirus has been fueled by social media. Let's take a look at some very recent epidemics and pandemics and their impact on social media. And hopefully you can kind of see the trend that I'm noticing with coronavirus. In March of 2014, the WHO announced an outbreak of Zaire Ebola virus in West Africa with 49 confirmed cases and 29 deaths. It grew in Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone until the WHO had no choice but to declare an international public health emergency. A month later, the UN Security Council held its first ever emergency meeting on a public health crisis. According to a study done in 2014, the media in the U.S. mostly covered the U.S. Ebola cases first and foremost, followed by covering the outbreak that was in Africa. And most of the time, they covered the rising death toll from the virus. Based on the news consumption statistics, it's not surprising that most of the American public was concerned about being infected with Ebola, because that was what the media was telling them, that they were going to get infected and die. Granted, Ebola is very scary sounding. Symptoms include fever, muscle pain, followed by more severe symptoms like vomiting, diarrhea, impaired kidney and liver function, and sometimes internal and external bleeding. Rehydration with fluids and body salts and treatment for some of the other symptoms have been found to improve survival as there is no proven treatment for Ebola virus. The U.S. had an opportunity to educate the public on a disease, and instead, they chose to use it to get viewership on a story. The CDC analyzed U.S.-focused news stories and found a high frequency of risk-elevated messages in news coverage, which can contribute to public concern. An article from the Journal of Tropical Diseases acknowledged that coverage of the epidemic raised a level of awareness on the disease and some preventative measures, but ultimately resulted in unnecessary fear of people from the most affected countries and their neighbors. The Western coverage of the epidemic also contributed to the initial rejection of the true existence of the disease. Sorry to throw a lot of sources at you all at once, but I need needed them to support my point. Western society is unfortunately very self-centered, and of the belief that if it's not happening to us, it doesn't exist. We are a society whose daily news segments start with good morning, and then we tell you why it isn't. I may have been a freshman, sophomore in high school, but I remember the media's portrayal of what was going on. I remember the debates going, going on about barring travelers from Africa in general, and I can definitely see how the media spread panic and unnecessary fear surrounding an illness. We're now going to move on to another pandemic. It is November of 2002. A case of atypical pneumonia is reported in southern China. By March 12, 2003, the WHO issues a global alert for a severe form of pneumonia of unknown origin in persons from China, Vietnam, and Hong Kong. And then things got a whole lot worse. Three days later, it had a name. The symptoms are vague and stereotypical of a flu, such as high fever, aches, dry cough, and eventually pneumonia, but it has the ability to infect 8,096 people and kill 774. By the July of that same year, it was gone and never seen again. This is Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, SARS. It is a viral respiratory illness caused by a coronavirus called SARS-associated coronavirus, or SARS-CoV. And yes, the novel coronavirus and SARS are from the same family of viruses. Much like the current outbreak, it spread fast, prompting people to hoard face masks and institute massive quarantines. There is a current debate on whether or not COVID-19 the novel coronavirus, will be just like SARS and die out. On February 9th, the death toll surpassed SARS and continues to climb, suggesting that containment will be more difficult than SARS. 
During the aftermath of the SARS crisis, the Western media was criticized by Chinese media outlets for exaggeration of the health crisis, claiming it focused too much on the negative. They were also criticized for mixing in the medical crisis with political issues. U.S. reporters in particular tend to dramatize problems and overplay controversy to attract attention. I agree with San Yu, who wrote an article about it for Neiman Reports, that what the media can learn from the SARS outbreak is that it's very important to deliver news accurately and in a timely manner. There was a lot of absence of information mixed with overhyped press in the western part of the world, which made for a lot of hysteria and mass panic surrounding the virus. It also caused other viruses that are well-known and deadly, like the flu, which hospitalizes 114,000 Americans each year, to be downplayed because they weren't the new thing. This made people more frightened than they ought to be. And I feel that this is what is happening currently. Because this virus is new and from somewhere else, people are scared. However, the media should not be amplifying the fear. Instead, they should be educating the public on what is happening and how to protect oneself from the virus, which the WHO is trying really, really hard to do. They're just being overwhelmed by all of the internet. A study conducted by Sherry Bergen and Anna Sanchez on university students showed they lacked knowledge about SARS and suggested further collaboration between the public health departments and the press to deliver essential information to society, which they are trying very hard to do with the coronavirus. I just believe that they are being drowned out by the rest of the internet. For our final infectious disease pandemic, we'll be jumping ahead to 2009, when the U.S. was in the midst of a full-blown influenza A H1N1 pandemic. I specifically remember this one as I was in elementary school or middle school. I don't know what grade people are in when they're 10 years old. Anyway, this was an influenza pandemic that originated in Mexico and the U.S. in 2009. The WHO classified it as a pandemic virus, making it the first pandemic in 40 years. This is a very good opportunity to explain the difference between a pandemic and an epidemic. The two words are very close in meaning and are often used interchangeably, but they are different. These definitions I'm using are my own that I've come up with through the many, many years of taking classes on this topic. Yes, I know, I am weird. Let's move on. A pandemic is a global outbreak of a disease spread over many countries, infecting a large number of people. An epidemic is a sudden increase in the number of cases of a disease in a particular area. Basically, a pandemic is an epidemic that's gotten out of control. The reason the swine flu was so alarming is that non-pandemic flu typically infects and causes complications in immunocompromised people. So old people, newborns, and people with weakened immune systems. A pandemic flu infects everyone, including children and young adults. Now I'm going to stop talking about infections, sorry dad, but that's a different episode, and start talking about media coverage. Again, the media had a field day with H1N1, reporting on the numbers of deaths day in and day out. And as we have discussed before, people got scared. And when people who perceive a great risk of infection try to cope, they do so by pointing the finger at someone else. In the case of H1N1, as soon as it came out, it came from a pig farm in Mexico. In the words of Michael McCauley in his paper, Latino immigrants were pronounced guilty by association. Around the globe, products of Mexico were shunned because people associated the word Mexico with disease vector, which was not the case. Although the results from his study cannot be generalized, it does have implications on how public health and emergency services should go about mitigating negative impacts during future outbreaks. And this leads us up to now. Researching this episode has made me think a lot about how we report on diseases and how it affects others. It is important to look at the past so that we can learn about the future. Pandemics don't go away just because we live in a first world country and have modern medicine. In fact, we are more connected with the world than ever before, and that connection has brought together so many people working to better the health of humanity. But the connection increases the risk of passing diseases between countries. 
but the science community and the WHO monitor these diseases so if an outbreak does occur, we can be ready for it. I would like to dedicate this episode to all of the healthcare workers who are working all over the world on the front lines to stop the threats of disease, especially those who have lost their lives in this fight. You guys are the real heroes. I am not a medical professional, so please consult your primary care physician if you were intrigued by anything you heard today. I do all my own research and my sources are linked in the description, so please give all of those scientists your love. The intro music was done by Cooper Wood and the artwork was done by me. My name is Emma Ives, and thanks for listening to Chill Pill. Thank you.